to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We are continuing our sermon series on the story of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. And I want to start off with a story today. I don't know if this is a true story or not. It certainly could be. But there was a fellow who was worried about his wife. He thought she was beginning to have some physical problems, not life-threatening, but he was concerned enough to go to her doctor without her. And so he met with her doctor. He says, Doctor, I'm really concerned about my wife. I think she's really starting to lose her hearing. Because I find that I'm talking to her and she's not responding and and it's gotten so bad I'm really getting concerned. What can we do? And the doctor says, well, she needs to come in for a test. But here's what you can do so we can kind of get an idea of how bad her hearing may be getting. He says, when you're at home sometime, I want you to stand about 15 feet away from her and say something and see if she responds. If not, move a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer until she finally responds to you. Okay, I can try that. He says, that might give you a little something to say, hey, why don't you go see the doctor or whatever. So he goes home and it's getting close to dinner time. His wife's in the kitchen. She's cutting up the vegetables and all that kind of stuff. So he stands about 15 feet behind her and says, honey, what are we having for dinner? He hears no response. He moves up to 10 feet. He says, honey, what are we having for dinner? Here's no response. Moves up to five feet. Honey, what are we having for dinner? Still, he hears no response. He gets right up behind her. His mouth is close to her ear. And he says, honey, what are we having for dinner? And she turns around and, says, and she says, sweetie, for the fourth time, we're having vegetable soup. So obviously, the problem with the hearing wasn't his wife. We laugh. I won't ask for any hands about how many of you struggle with your hearing from time to time. I'll freely admit my hearing is not what it used to be, you know. I see hands going up anyway, even though I didn't ask you to do that. You know, my hearing is not what it used to be. I have to ask people to repeat things, you know, and my wife and I will be at home and I'll say something and I don't think she hears me and I find out myself in the situation. She says, I did respond. It's like, I didn't hear it, you know, or vice versa. Those kind of things happen. But you know, sometimes we don't hear because our hearing is not as good as it used to be, but sometimes it's because we're not paying attention either. You know, so both those issues are there. But hearing is so important for everyday life, for all relationships. But can I tell you that hearing is significantly important when it comes to hearing from God? Now, we're not as dependent on our physical ears for hearing from God. We are to a degree because one of the main ways we hear from God is when we listen to someone like I'm doing now, preach a message or teach, or we have a conversation or a part of a men's group, women's group, or Bible study discussion, whatever it might be. So we have to have our ears to hear in that way. But how well do we hear from God? How well do you hear from God? How clearly do you hear his voice in your life? You're the only person that can determine that. I've said this so many times, and I believe it with all my heart. God is constantly trying to speak to you. God is constantly trying to speak to me. God is constantly trying to speak to those of you that are watching online or if you're watching the recording later. 
But how well do we hear? Why is God trying to speak to us? Is it because he's trying to get us back on the right path and correct us and, and warn us and, and, and rebuke us? There may be a little bit of that if we need it, but can I tell you that God wants to speak to you all the time because he loves you and because he wants what's best for you. He wants to draw you to himself. He wants to lead you into what is best for you. He wants to help you with your problems and to help you avoid the things that are going to destroy you. And he wants to encourage and strengthen you. But sometimes we don't benefit from that as much as we could because we're not hearing his voice. We're not listening. Maybe we're not paying attention. Are you listening? We're going to look at our text in just a moment from Luke chapter 8. Not quite there yet. But in verse 8, Jesus says something that he said several times throughout his ministry. And when I say it, you may be like, well, what exactly is that? Mean? What exactly does that mean? And that's why he said it the way he did so people would think about that. In Luke 8, 8, it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, he wasn't saying literally, if you got ears on your head, then listen. Because most everybody has ears on their head. What he's saying is you have ears. Are you listening? Are you paying attention? And in the context we see that he is, makes this statement, it's in the context of God's trying to speak. Are you listening to him? So today, the title of my message is Listen Up. Listen, how many of you used that phrase before? Listen up. You've heard it, right? What does that mean? It means, listen. See, I'm just doing it. Listen. It means pay attention to what I'm saying. This is important. Listen up. And that's the title of what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. And we're going to read it little by little as we go through. And first of all, we're going to jump into verses 1 to 3. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Soon afterward, after what? After all the events that have already taken place. Last week we looked at Jesus being at Simon the Pharisee's house for a dinner and this sinful woman anointed his feet and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus has already chosen his 12 disciples. They're traveling around. In fact, this is a summary of what they're doing. Afterward, soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. These are the 12 hand-picked Disciples, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them of their means. We're only going to take about a minute or two on this particular section. But we have in these short verses something we don't hear talked about a lot because it's not emphasized a lot in Scripture, but it is there. And that is Jesus not only had the 12 disciples that he handpicked to be his inner circle, he had a lot of disciples above and beyond that, but he had women who were disciples, which was unheard of in that day. Totally different culture, a culture that we would not want to live in now, especially you women. That women basically had babies, took care of the home, fixed meals, supported their husbands and their sons, and that kind of thing. They didn't get much of an education. They would never be a disciple of a famous rabbi or even a not-so-famous rabbi. But Jesus had women disciples. Women that he welcomed and invited to be with him and to learn from him. And they did that. 
They learned from him. And, and, and I was going to preach a whole message on this, but then I realized that a year and a half ago in May of last year, I did preach a whole message on this called Women Who Followed Jesus. So if you want to learn more about that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it or watch it. It's online on our website, but the Women Who Followed Jesus from May of last year. But what we learned in that lesson, in that message is that these women followed Jesus. They were close to him. They paid attention. They learned just as the men did. They ministered. They served. This passage tells us that some of them had a lot of money and they were a financial support for Jesus. But one thing is very, very interesting is that there are many times in Scripture where it's shared how the various men, especially in that inner circle of disciples, let Jesus down. There's never a story of how a woman let him down. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but it's not there. There's not a story of any of the women abandoning him, of denying him, of running away. In fact, they're at the cross. And they're the first ones at the tomb on Resurrection Sunday. So anyway, if you want to hear more about that, just go back to a year and a half ago online and listen to that sermon. So let's jump into what we really want to focus on today. And that is a parable that Jesus told A parable. We're going to read it in just a second, but what is a parable? I know last week we dealt with a very short parable, and I didn't spend a lot of time talking about parables, but as we continue through Luke, we're going to see more and more and more parables, and most of you are probably familiar with that idea, you know, the parables of Jesus, and just to be generic, the stories of Jesus, and that's what they are. They're stories. The word parable comes from a Greek word that means to place alongside of. And and basically what that's indicating is that it's a story that you tell that has a relationship with everyday life. And you use this story to illustrate something from everyday life. You tell this story that's similar to a situation in everyday life so people can understand it and they'll draw some kind of spiritual truth from it. And many times those parables have an unexpected twist. The one today is considered the most basic of all the parables um, that Jesus told. And so we're going to jump into that. And right now we're going to read that as Luke 8, verses 4 to 8. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Matthew tells us, because Matthew and Mark both share this parable also and give us a little bit more detail. Um, And Matthew tells us that Jesus is telling this parable while he's on the side of the seashore. In fact, he's borrowed one of the disciples' boats to get out into that. And he's out into the sea because he's being crowded and he's teaching and he tells this parable. And I can imagine, it doesn't say whether this is so, but I can imagine Jesus being in the boat. He's teaching the people and he has this thought, oh, here's a great story I can tell that'll make a point. And he looks up and he sees the hills around the sea and perhaps he sees a farmer actually sowing his seed. And I could picture him say, just like that farmer up there, 
But even if that's not the case, this is a picture that everybody would know about. Most people that Jesus is ministering to, and in fact, most people of this time, are either farmers or herdsmen. And even if they're herdsmen, they understand the whole agricultural cycle. They all know about sowing seeds. And the description that Jesus gives of this field and its surroundings is something that would be very familiar because these different types of soil or these different ingredients were true of just about every field you could find in that part of the world. He talks about the path, the hard-beaten path. You know, they didn't have paved roads like we do now. The Romans did some rock roads, but they weren't out in, the, in just everyday life. They, there was just places where people walked most of the time, so it got beaten down. It got hard. It was just dirt, and they'd been walked on so much, it was just hard. And those paths often would go along the side of a field, but sometimes they go right through a field. If a farmer had a big field and you had to get from here to there and you didn't want to walk all the way around, you'd just make a path right down the middle and you just knew that you wouldn't plant there, you wouldn't harvest there. And so this path, the idea of the path being very, very hard was very common. And then he talks in Luke, he says he talks about the seed that was sown on the rock. You say, well, who would sow seed on a rock? Well, first of all, you have to understand how they sowed seed. They didn't have all these big machines and all that kind of stuff. The farmer would have this bag. He'd hang over his shoulder with the seed in it. He'd go out, he'd grab a handful, and they got pretty good at spreading it pretty evenly, and they would just throw it out there and kind of spread it. And as you can imagine, that seed would land on the good soil where he was aiming, but it would kind of go over the edges and hit the path. But we read this one about the, the, the rock. It's like, well, how, why would a farmer sow on the rock? When we read the story in Matthew and Mark, we find that he's talking about rocky soil, which was very, very prevalent in Palestine still is. And this is soil that looks really good on the surface, but if you would dig down into it an inch or two below, you would find the bedrock. And because the rock was there, when the rain would fall, it would go down through the soil, percolate down, and then it would kind of sit right on top of the bedrock. Whereas in the good soil where there's no rocks, it would go down, it would wet it, but it keep on going down. And so what he's talking about is seed that fell on this ground that looked good, but there was rock underneath, but there's water there, and there is some soil. So when it gets the warmth of the sun, the seed sprouts up quick. And sometimes it'll sprout up quicker and grow taller than the seed on the good soil because it's got more water, because the water was trapped on top of the rock. But as the sun beats down, and it's been a while since it's rained, that water's gone and the plant has no deep roots, and so they become scorched and they die. They look good in the short term, but then it's dead. Then he talks about the seed that was sown in the thorns, and and Matthew talks about the weeds, the same thing, and that was probably in the corner of the field because as the farmer gets the field ready for sowing, he would clear out the weeds. He would clear out all the junk. He would clear out all the rocks that he could find. But where is he going to put them? He doesn't have a, a truck to haul them away. He puts them in the corner of the field. There's just a place in the field you put all that stuff because you can't haul it far. You don't want to haul it very far and you just put it there. And so some of the seed fell there where the weeds were or the weed seeds anyway, put it that way. And as the weeds grow up and the, the, the crop grows up, at first they're kind of the same, so the crop does okay. But how many of you have discovered in your own gardening that weeds come up faster, bigger, and hardier than whatever you're planting, right? Yeah, and that's exactly what happens. 
the grain begins to grow up, but the weeds come up too, and it grows faster, and it gets bigger, and it's stronger, and so it takes all the nutrients, it takes all the water, and it chokes out the life of the grain. And then, of course, you've got the good soil, which hopefully is the great majority of the farmer's field. And he sows that seed, and it grows, takes some time, but it produces a harvest, a fruit. That's the story that we have here. That's the story that we have here. You say, well, what does that story mean? Well, most of you probably heard this story enough times. Like, I know what it means because I've read this story so many times. But when the disciples hear this, this is the first time. It's like, well, what exactly is Jesus talking about? I understand the facts, but what does the farmer sowing the seed, and sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't, and there's different kinds of, what's that got to do with us? Matthew tells us that later on, after the crowds are gone, the disciples talk to Jesus, but in Luke here, we look at verse 9 and 10. It says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they're in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That almost sounds like Jesus says, there's certain people I don't want to understand, so I'm telling stories they don't understand. That's not what that's talking about. And we're going to dig more into that next week. This is so important, that, um, and it's talked about more after our passage today, that we're going to dig deeper into that next week. But let me just give you the basic idea of what Jesus is saying. What he's saying here is that people have an open heart and they listen, they'll understand more. But if people have a closed heart, a hardened heart, and they reject the truth, they're going to understand less. And isn't that true? I mean, not just with spiritual truth, but I mean, even in any area of education, people that apply themselves, they're open, they're willing, they want to learn, they learn, they grow, they understand more, they learn more and more and more. But somebody who has a bad attitude, somebody who's very negative about this particular course of study or whatever, I really don't care, I'm not going to apply myself, they understand less and less and less. And it's true for spiritual truths too. We'll, we'll talk more about that um, next week. But I just want to emphasize that this is not just talking about groups of people, it's talking about me. When I accept the truth... I understand more. When I reject the truth, I understand less. And that's true of each and every one of us. We'll talk more about that next week. So let's talk about the explanation of the parable. Jesus gives the key to understanding it in the very next verse, verse 11. In verse 11, he says, Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. He's going to explain some more, but that's the key to understanding the whole thing. The seed is is the word of God. I love that picture. I did a little Bible study on that myself one time and some really interesting stuff here. I'm just going to go through it really, really quick that's really cool. It says, like a seed, God's word is powerful. Like a seed, God's word is powerful. I say, how is, how is a seed powerful? You know, whatever kind of seeds you have, you know, um, I'm thinking in particular of an acorn, which is a seed to an oak tree, you know, and you got this little acorn. How is that acorn powerful? Can I tell you, I have seen an acorn break up concrete. I say, how? I'd like to see that. Well, it doesn't do it all by itself. It's when it's planted and it grows into an oak tree and there's a sidewalk there. I've seen this many times in older neighborhoods where you got this sidewalk that's all broken and cracked up because there's an oak tree right next to it. And when the, when the sidewalk was poured, it looked nice and neat, but this oak tree, as it grew from a little tiny seed, from an acorn, broke that concrete up. 
I think that's a great illustration of how God's word can seem so small, just a little bit, but it's full of power. Like a seed, God's word has life. It has life. Whatever kind of seed you look at, a lot of times it doesn't look alive. In fact, it looks dead. So how can life come from that? But just such, such a small thing that looks dead when it's put in the right environment and, and it has the right treatment, it exhibits and produces, because it has it inside, life, abundant life. Like a seed, God's word has tremendous potential to produce fruit. Just a little tiny seed. Now, in this case, I think of an apple seed. There's an old saying. I love this, this saying. It says, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples that are in a seed. Because when you plant that seed, it can grow a tree, which will have how many apples? We don't know. And each apple has how many seeds? We don't know. And each of those seeds could be planted to create another tree with apples and seeds. Yes, maybe you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't count the number of apples that are in the potential of one seed. And the same thing is true of God's word. God's word has tremendous potential to produce fruit. And the last comparison is like a seed, God's word must be planted and nurtured to bear fruit. I don't know about you, but I've had seeds in a packet in my garage. For a while, I would grow sorrel. A lot of you know what sorrel is. And when I would harvest it, I'd keep the seeds. Be dried out, I'd put them in a thing so I could plant it again next year. For a while, I had a garden, and I was told that marigolds would keep the bugs away. They didn't for me, by the way. So I had marigold seeds in an envelope in the garage, you know, and they didn't grow in there. I'd put them in there after the season was over. The next spring, I'd get them out, and they looked just the same as when I put them in there. These dried up little, little kernels of whatever. But you know what? You put them in the ground. And again, in the right environment, they bring forth life. But they have to be planted and nurtured. And the same thing is true of God's Word. God's Word has power. God's Word has life. But it has to be planted and nurtured. We've got to be in contact with that word. We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to read it. We've got to listen to it. We've got to meditate on it. We've got to study it. And that's a topic for a whole other sermon. But as we look at this parable, now that we know that the seed is God's word, what does everything else represent? Well, the most important aspect, other than the identity of the seed, is the soils. The soil represents the receptivity of our hearts. How receptive are our hearts to the seed, to God's word. In fact, uh, if you look in your Bible and it's got titles, it probably says this is the parable of the sower. That's true. Maybe it says the parable of the seed. That would be true too. But if we're going to be accurate, this really should be called the parable of the soils because that's the whole point. Because that's the main thing that Jesus is focusing on. Yeah, the seed being the word of God is important, but the most important application is how does that seed take take root in our lives and bring about fruit. And it has to do with the soil. It has to do with how receptive our heart is to what God's word says. And he says the end goal for every farmer is to produce fruit, not just fruit on trees, but any kind of abundant harvest was called fruit. To produce fruit. What is that fruit? The fruit is the abundant life that God desires for us. We see the idea of fruit used all through Scripture for what God wants to see grow in our lives and come about as a result of contact with and a relationship with Him. 
In fact, we're going to see in the first point here when it talks about um, the rocky soil that, uh, you know, it says that because the seed doesn't take root, they're not saved. So at the most, at the most um, basic uh, application, our receptivity to God's word determines whether we'll be saved from our sins or not. But beyond that, it infects every area of our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. Paul talks about the fruit of the spirit, or, uh, fruit of the spirit, which is our character traits. So our interaction with God's word shapes our character. Love, joy, peace are all fruits that we want to have in our lives. Again, that influenced by our receptivity to God's word. Every area of life is affected by that. So the main point we see is in verse 8, where it says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I challenge you to think this morning, are you paying attention to God? Are you paying attention to his voice speaking to you? Speaking to you through his word. That's the primary way he speaks to us today. Speaking to you through his spirit within your heart. And by the way, his spirit will never contradict his word. You can't say, well, God told me or God's spirit told me. And if it's something that's contradictory to God's word, that was not God or his spirit speaking to you. Because he doesn't contradict himself. Sometimes he'll speak to us through other people. Sometimes they'll speak through the circumstances of our life. But are you listening for and are you hearing God's voice? Well, let's take a look at the application of this parable. Jesus shares that. Verses 11 to 15, our last section for today. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. We already mentioned that. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So how does this parable apply? How did it apply to the people of Jesus' day? How does it apply to our lives today? Well, the primary application is it's an explanation of why some people respond to the gospel, why some people respond to God's call in their life and they begin to serve him and why other people don't. Or why some people start to, but then they don't finish, they don't continue. But in a deeper sense or in a more uh, everyday sense, it also talks about why we respond or don't respond to God's truth in our everyday life. Sometimes we respond better in one area of life than others. But this parable gives an explanation as to why that happens. So let's take a look at these four different types of soil and what happens and how that relates to our hearts. The first one, we see the seed on the path. And this represents a hard heart. A hard heart. There's no acceptance of the truth. No acceptance of the truth. Another story. A lady was talking to her friend, and she says, my husband's got a problem. He's continually talking to himself. 
The other lady says, does, she, does he realize that he's talking to himself? She says, no, he thinks I'm listening. I won't ask how many of you have experienced that in your relationships. But the point here is that sometimes, in this case, God's word has no effect. It has no impact because we're not listening. Or maybe we're listening, but we're totally rejecting. We, we have a hard heart. We don't want to hear it. If we have to hear it, we want to ignore it. We want to avoid it. To be honest with you, we can get to the point where we can hear it, understand it, and it has absolutely no impact on us because our hearts have become so hard to God and his word and what he wants to do in our lives. You know, Jesus says that Satan steals the truth before it can make a difference, before it can take root, but he can only do that because the heart is hard. So how do our hearts get hard? We could probably do a whole study on that, but let me just give you two things. Number one, our hearts become hardened when we reject the truth. If God speaks to us and we say, I don't want to hear it, I don't accept it, I reject it, our hearts get hard. This is why sometimes preachers will say, listen, God's speaking to you and you need to respond now. It's not just a threat. It's not just saying, well, you may die on the way home and you don't have a chance to respond. But it's also the thing that the more that we reject God's truth, whether it's the truth of the gospel, that we need a savior and we should surrender our life to him and make him our Lord, or whether it's about a certain area of our life, the more that we reject it, the more that we push it off, the more that we push it away, the more that we refuse to listen, the harder our hearts get toward that aspect of the truth. We're gonna talk more about that next week. As I said earlier, Jesus said that one of the reasons about the parables is to get people interested to listen. But for those who reject the truth, they're going to understand less and less and less. Why do we reject the truth? Because it's not what we want to hear. Because it's going to cost us something. It's going to require us to do something we don't want to do. We don't want to pay the price. My mind is already made up. The Bible also talks about having a conscience that's been seared. So our hearts are hardened. The second thing that can harden our hearts, our hearts harden when we believe Satan's lies. In fact, Jesus mentions Satan specifically. uh, Satan is like the birds that sweep down and eat up the, the, the seed before it can take any kind of root. There's no place for it to take root. It's all hard, the hard heart. But Satan sweeps down and, and, and takes it up as a, like a bird and eats that seed. The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. The devil and the spiritual forces at his disposal are actively at work trying to make sure that people that don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior are blinded to the truth of their need for a Savior, of their own sinfulness, of the love of God. Unfortunately, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There can be times that people are going along feeling like everything's fine. I'm doing great. I've never seen no, no devil, you know, with pointy tail and pitchfork and all that kind of stuff. That's a caricature somebody came up with way back in the Middle Ages. Satan doesn't come to people like that. He looks like an angel of light and he will tell you lies to try to counteract God's truth. In fact, that's where all the problems started, isn't it? In the Garden of Eden with Eve. 
And God had created man and woman, put them in this beautiful garden, said, you can eat anything you want, just don't eat from this one tree. He had a reason for that. Totally different topic for another time. And so, of course, Satan comes and says, basically, did God really say? You know, Satan still says that today. Did God really say? And even if we say, yeah, he did say that. He said, well, did God really mean what, you th- what, what, what you're thinking? He'll try to get us to not believe the truth of God's word by either denying it, if he can get us to, to deny its truth, or if we recognize this truth and say, well, that's not really what that means. You know? When God says you shouldn't do this, he didn't really mean that. When God said you should do that, he didn't really mean that. Or even if he did, you know there's some exceptions and you're an exception. Or it's different nowadays. Or whatever. Satan loves to use lies to keep us from bringing that truth into our hearts and our hearts become hard. We experience that, don't we? Have you ever tried to give advice to somebody who doesn't want to hear it? Well, number one, you probably shouldn't be giving advice to people that don't ask for it. Unless you're in a position where you need to. You're a boss, you're an overseer, you're a teacher, or whatever, okay? But we probably also experience people coming to us saying, oh, I got this situation and I don't know what to do. And, oh, it's a, and so you give them good advice. It worked for you. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. That's kind of like what it is. It's like, we don't want God's advice. It's not advice, but we don't want it. We see this in Jesus' day with the religious leaders. They were not open to Jesus at all, and their hearts got harder and harder and harder and harder until they were the ones that orchestrated, planned for, and carried out the plan to have Jesus crucified. They totally missed it. These are the Bible scholars. These are the people that claim to love and serve God and are trying hard to do it, and they missed it because their hearts were hard and they believed the enemy's lies. The attitude, I've just tried to put an attitude with each one of these, and maybe we'll recognize this, maybe this will wake us up a little bit. The attitude is, I'm not going to do what God says. I'm not going to do what God's word says. I mean, you know, that's outdated, that's from a long time ago, it doesn't apply to me. I just reject it, you know. Maybe I'll do some stuff he says over here, but I'm not going to do what God says. In the case of salvation, it's like, I don't need a savior, I'm a pretty good person. I don't need to come to Jesus like God's word says. I don't need to put my trust in what he did instead of what I did because I'm not a bad, I'm a pretty good person. I don't need a savior. I'm not going to do what God says. The second type of soil is the seed on the rocky soil. This is a shallow heart. Remember, I described that as dirt on top of rock. You've got a little bit, but it's shallow. This is a superficial acceptance of the truth. Superficial, which means surface. It fits. Verse 18, it says, The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while. In a time of testing, they fall away. We see this a lot in the crowds that follow Jesus. They were so excited about Jesus. Here this man showed up. He's doing miracles. He's healing people. I need a healing. He's healed me. My mother-in-law needs a healing. He's healed her. You know, I, my daughter, he's healed them. He's, he's meeting needs. He, he, at times, has fed people that were hungry. He, he's taking care of people. We think he might be the Messiah. He's the one that's going to come and he's going to deliver us from the Roman Empire. He's going to set up God's kingdom. He's going to bring us into a time of peace and prosperity and joy. God's love all excited about it it's everything they want it's everything they've hoped for and sometimes 
That's the way we are because there's so much of the good news and there's so much of God's word that we want and that we need and we're willing to open ourselves up to that. Lord, I do need you. Lord, I do need your help. I do need your provision. I, I desire peace and love and joy in my life and, and you promise that and I'm excited finally I've found the source of all that I want and I need. But then when we find out that yes, God promises those things and he does deliver, but we still have to deal with difficulties. In fact, though, there's some difficulties that we're going to face because we've chosen to follow Jesus that if we didn't follow Jesus, we wouldn't have to face. In other words, it's going to get difficult. I've said many times that one of the promises of Jesus we don't want to claim is when he says, listen, I tell you the truth, in this world, you're going to have trouble. That's a promise of Jesus. We don't want to claim it. I'm not suggesting you should claim it. Don't go to say, God, I'm not having enough trouble. You know, you promised I would have some. Paul said the same thing. I'm not, I don't have near. Any of you not have enough trouble in your life? I know you don't want to slip your hand. It's like, God's going to give me some. The devil's going to give me some. I don't know. All right. But you know what? There are people that are all excited about Jesus and what he can do for him and all that kind of stuff. And they, they, they make a start. But when things get difficult, it's like, huh, I'm, I can't go this way anymore. I'm not going to go this way anymore. It's just too tough. It's too tough. We see it in the crowds of Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people crowded around to hear Jesus teach and to receive what he had to give. That last week when he rides into Jerusalem, the great crowds that are crying out, here's the one, here's the Messiah, he's come to save us, do it, yeah, bring deliverance. But within a week, there's another crowd, maybe some of the same people, maybe not, but another crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. And where is that crowd at? Where's that other crowd at? The one that was so supportive of him. People that start off well, but then when things get difficult, they quit. You know, last week, um, we gave some testimony about going to the youth convention. I had a great group of young people that went to Rise, our youth convention. And, and we were talking about in the testimonies about how it was a great experience, great times of worship and all that kind of stuff. But that at least from our perspective as leaders and some of the things that young people said is that it wasn't so much about having this uh, big, not saying this didn't happen in some of their lives, but this big emotional life-changing moment, but more some really solid teaching that's going to help them from day to day to day to deal with the difficulties that are going to come and the difficulties that are already there of doubt and fear and anger and depression and sorrow and all that kind of stuff. And can I tell you that this is kind of like that? But it's not just the young people. We adults understand that. Again, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of us have been in an environment, whether it's a, a crusade, it's a revival service, it's, a, it's a, a regular service, and God's moving, and we have this tremendous sense of his presence and his anointing on our life, and he touches us, and we are emotionally touched, and it's so exciting, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if our relationship with him and how we live our lives is only based on those kind of experiences we're going to get in trouble because you don't have those experiences every day. In fact, most days, you got to go through the grind. You got to face the difficulties. You got to deal with difficult people. You got to deal with difficult circumstances. You got to face the needs, the areas where it's like, oh, I need more money. Oh, I need this. I need that. I got this person. Ah, oh. 
And where's that emotional experience going what's to, that, what's that emotional experience going to do for you then other than say, you know what, God does love me. He touched me. And just like he was with me in the midst of that wonderful experience at that conference or service or whatever, he's with me right now because he's promised to be. And that same power and presence that I sensed then, maybe I don't sense it right now, but it's here and it's available and God's going to take care of me. And so you keep going forward. But unfortunately for many people, they live for those emotional experiences, but then when the experiences are gone, things get tough. They quit. They quit. And the attitude is, I'll do what God says as long as it doesn't get too hard. Now, we might not say that, but that's what we end up doing. I'll do what God says as long as it doesn't get too hard. And can I tell you, I really feel for those that the time getting hard means you're facing a situation. And it's like, this is not only a bad situation, but I can't understand why God let it happen. See, that's an extra hard one. It's not just a hard situation. We call it to God and God works it all out. But it's a hard situation that it looks like God could have stopped this, but he didn't stop it. The death of a loved one. A physical, major physical need. Some of the hard stuff that comes. Are we going to stick with Jesus? Are we going to keep on keeping on? Or are we going to give up because it got too hard and we don't understand what God's doing? And the devil get involved in this one too, even though he's not mentioned the parable. He'll come in there and put all kinds of doubts. God really doesn't love you. God really doesn't care. God's really not even there. And it's too hard, so I'm going to give up. I'll do what God says as long as it doesn't get too hard. The third category here is the seed among the thorns. Or the weeds, as Matthew says. This is a divided heart. This is half-hearted acceptance of the truth. Jesus talks about this in verse 14. These are the ones that are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Again, the picture of the seed that grows up in the middle of the weeds, and the weeds choke it out. These are the other things in our life that if we let them have too much priority, too much significance, they're going to choke out what God wants to do in us. Uh, I got to tell you the story. It it makes me think of, you know, uh, whenever someone in our church is in the hospital or a rehab center or something, we do our best to try to come and see them. And I mean, sometimes people get in and they get out like right away and it's like there wasn't even a chance to go, you know. But when people are in the hospital, we really try to go see them and stuff, or, or maybe in a rehab center or, or nursing home or something. And, and I just got to share this. It's kind of humorous. There's nothing wrong with it or anything. But sometimes I'll go see somebody, and I'll be talking with them, and they got their TV on, and they got it up, which is totally fine, but I can barely hear what they're saying because their TV's on. I went to see one guy one time. He had his TV on and his radio. <laughs> and it's like, I could not understand what they were saying. And and if you've ever done that, I I don't even remember anybody who it was. I just know it's happened more more than once. But keep that in mind. If you're ever in the hospital, hope you never have to go there. Somebody comes to see, turn the TV down. It makes it a little bit easier, okay? Uh, And I've had plenty of people do that too. They put it on mute or turn it off and we have a nice little visit. But if I come see you, don't turn it down. I'm still going to love you. And I'll still talk to you to the degree that I can understand you and I'll pray for you. But, But that illustrates the point that we've got all these voices coming into our lives, And because of these different voices, one can drown out another. And sometimes we allow worldly voices, um, and I'm not even talking about sinful things. It can include that. Other voices to come in and it drowns out the effect of God's word. It chokes it out. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. 
when we have mixed priorities, when we try to serve two masters, you know, Jesus says that you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and mammon, which is a word for the things of this world. There's nothing inherently evil about the things of this world. We live in a material world. You know, it doesn't say that uh, money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money. Money can be a very good thing. But you know, when we allow other things to take a higher priority in our life, it will choke out the effect of God's word. Jesus mentions specifically here, cares of this life. The things that weigh us down, the things that are always on our mind. If we don't turn them over to God, they're going to drown out God's voice. He talks about riches. You might say, I don't have any riches. It's not a problem for me. Can I tell you that pursuing riches, desiring riches to the extent that that's our focus, even if you don't have it yet, that can drown out God's effect in his word in your life. And he says, pleasures. Boy, I tell you what, that is so true of our culture. There's so much in our culture that we take pleasure in. And I'm not even talking about specifically sin, although that's included. My favorite TV show, my favorite movies, my favorite series of movies, my digital device, my phone, my tablet, the games I play on it, the social media, none of those things in particular are bad or wrong, but you've discovered it can consume you and it can choke out God's word, God's speaking, God's voice and the impact he wants to have in your life if we let it get out of control. We let it get out of control. I see the example in Scripture of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, you know, what, paraphrase the story. What does it take to be right with God and all that kind of stuff? And, and they had the conversation, keep the commandments. And this, He says, I've done that my whole life. And, and it said that Jesus loved him. He says, why don't you just sell everything you got, man, and, and just come be with me? And it says he didn't do it because he was so rich. In other words, his money and the things he could buy were more important than the call of God on his life. The attitude here is, I'll do what God says as long as I don't want something else more. I'll do what God says as long as I don't want something else more. I'll spend time with God as long as my day doesn't get too filled up with everything else, with school and work and social media and TV and, and all whatever it is you fill your day with. I'll serve God. I'll do what he says as long as I don't want something else more. The last one is the seed on the good soil. This is an open heart. It's full acceptance of the truth. Jesus said, as for that, as for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. A couple words he uses. He says, hearing. They are listening. There's a willingness to really listen, to put themselves in a place to hear. They're listening up. They're paying attention. And, and, and can I reemphasize what I just said? Putting themselves in a place to hear. They're in a place where they hear God's voice. On a very personal way, that'd be yourself personally, hopefully daily. You're spending time with God in his word. You're going to places where you hear God's word preached and taught, or you're hearing that at home. There's so many resources that we have now with the internet and YouTube and right now media and that to bring God's word. And I'm not saying you've got to be doing it five hours a day. I challenge you. Make a record this week how much time you spend with God every day. Even if it doesn't serve any other purpose than the fact that you spend more time this week because you're keeping a record, that's a good thing. We claim that God is the most important aspect of our lives. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm not denying that. But how much time do we really spend with him? 
If you say your spouse is the most important person in your life, how is that demonstrated in the interaction you have with them? That's a whole other sermon, but it says hearing, it says they hold it fast. That gives me the picture that they desire to understand it and learn it and apply it. It's not just in one ear and out the other, but they're, they're holding fast to God's word. They're, they're, they're grasping onto it. He said they have an honest and a good heart. They've got this desire. They've got this sincerity. You know, it's unmixed. It's like God is the most important thing. What I hear from him is more important than the other things that are going on in my life. But then he says with patience. They bear fruit with patience. Now, this is important. This means that they do it with patience. They're doing it as they go through difficult times. They're still doing it. With patience, that means it's taking some time. You know, sometimes this word is preached and it's like, well, how are you doing right now? What are you going to do with this message? And that's very important. That's very significant. And that is true. But fruit takes time to develop. Everything we're talking about today, it impacts where you are right now and how you're listening today, how you're even listening to this sermon. But... When we're talking about bearing that fruit with patience, it's over a period of time. There are times you're going to do better than others. There's going to be time you come to church and you fall asleep. I've seen it. Saying, Pastor, I hope you didn't see me. I, <laughs> hey, can I just tell you, as your pastor, there's times I see people nodding off, and I understand. When I was a youth pastor, one time I fell asleep on the platform. I did, man. We'd had a youth activity the day before. I'm sitting, this is back when the staff would sit on the platform and stuff. I'm sitting up there. I got my Bible in my lap. I'm looking down at my Bible. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up. And have you ever waked up, woke up from being asleep and you feel like you just went like that? You know, I thought for, for the world that I, that's exactly what I did. I kind of looked up and nobody was looking at me. It's like, thank you, Jesus. You know, but I understand life gets busy sometimes. Sometimes medication, various things can make you sleepy. I don't, I, I, I understand that. I mean, we've got to do everything we can to be awake and alert when we're in church. But if I see you falling asleep, I'm not going to think you're a backslider, I promise. But the thing is, we're going to have some days that are easier and some be- that are better. But with patience means that, man, I just read God's word today. I didn't get much out of it. But I'm going to keep on reading it tomorrow. You know, I'm trying to do the best I can, but I failed. I gave into temptation. I sinned. God forgive me, but I'm going to keep on going with patience. And over the course of your life, you see fruit. You see some growth spurts. Other times it seems like it didn't grow at all, but that's okay because over the course of time, over the last month, have you grown? Over the last six months, have you grown? Over the last year, have you grown? Is that the trajectory? Is that the direction you're going? And this is the attitude of I'll do what God says even when things are difficult. Even when I want something else, I'm still going to do what God says. That open heart, God, I want what you want. I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to do what I need to do. The last thing I'm going to share with you, we're going to wrap this up. Is there hope for people with the wrong kind of heart? If someone's heart has become hardened, is there hope? The Bible indicates that there can come a time when your heart is so hardened there is no more hope left. And it's not because God's not willing, it's because you never will be. But I want to tell you that except for that one instance, and if you hear that and you say, I'm concerned, have I gotten there? If you're concerned, you've not gotten there. But there's hope for every type of heart. I see it in Scripture. I see a man by the name of Paul who had a hard heart toward Jesus and the church was doing everything he could to defeat it, to destroy it to bringing believers to court, seeing them put to death. He had a hard heart toward Jesus, and Jesus changed his heart. 
I see a Peter who became one of the two most well-known leaders in the early church who had a shallow heart. So many ups and downs. He was so excited, but then he failed. He was so excited, but he said the wrong thing. He was so excited, he denied Jesus. But God did a work in his heart, and it changed. It's a story, but I see the prodigal son who had the crowded heart, who rejected his father and everything his father tried to teach him and the foundation the father tried to lay in his life, and he went off to do his own thing. But his heart changed, and he came back. So... If there by any chance is anyone that's here today or you're watching online, you say, well, it's too late for me because I recognize the signs of these different soils in my heart and maybe it's too late. It's not too late. Your heart can be changed. To be honest with you, our hearts, every single one, myself included, is a mixture of these hearts, a mixture of these conditions. And it's always a process of, Lord, I need to weed some things out. Lord, I need to get rid of some rocks. Lord, I got to let your spirit, Lord, use your spirit to soften my heart. I don't want a hard heart. Today, as we wrap this all up, I would just challenge you to have an open, soft, pliable heart to hear when God speaks and to respond in a positive way and to not give up because things get hard or to not leave it behind because you're so weighed down by the things that are weighing you down or that life's good right now, so I'm doing my own thing or I'm pursuing all this stuff that I want. Put him first. Let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our elders to come. We're going to have just a couple of moments of worship. And if you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. That's what we're going to be down here for. You can just come. We'll pray for you. Or if you want us to come and pray with you for somebody else, we'll do that. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've pushed it aside, we would love to talk and pray with you about that. Please come. We'll be glad to do that. But we're going to do that for just a couple of moments and I'll come back and close the service in prayer. Father, I pray that what we just sang would be true. I pray that you'd reign in our lives, Lord God. You're only going to reign where we surrender to your authority, Lord God. And this directly relates to how we respond to you speaking to us. God, I pray that you'd help each of us to listen up to pay closer attention to what you're trying to say to us, Lord God, through your word, by your spirit, Lord God, through our conscience, Lord God, if it hasn't been seared in any way, hardened in any way. Father, I pray to Lord God that we would actively put ourselves in a place where we can hear your word by spending time with you every day, by getting in good conversations and encouraging one another and challenging one another, Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would help us to just have that open heart that says, Lord, I want to know what you have to say. I want to live it out in my life, no matter how hard it might get, no matter what difficulties I might face. Lord, no matter what other distractions the enemy wants to use, Lord God, good things, bad things, whatever it is, you're first, and I'm going to live for you. I pray you'd help those particularly, Lord God, who are struggling right now because of some of those things, to just put their trust in you. And Father, speak to us this week. I pray you'd just surprise us. God, as we make a greater effort to listen to your voice, that we would hear it. It's like, oh my goodness, Lord, you are trying to speak to me. You are speaking to me. Father, thank you for that. God, as we leave this place, I pray, dear God, that this week we would be your ambassadors in our world, that people would see Jesus in us and that you would give us opportunity to to just share your love with the people around us. And Father, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said... 
Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 